Welcome to the bite-sized edition of the Editor Roundtable podcast. Here on the Roundtable, we're dedicated to helping you become a better writer, following the story grid method developed by Sean Coyne. In these episodes, we bring you some shorter solo articles and interviews on topics that interest us as writers. Hi there, I'm Valerie Francis, and with me today is Leslie Watts, and we're discussing how to analyze a scene. So, join us for a quick bite of writing insight, starting right now. Okay, why do we analyze scenes? Why is this a skill we need to develop as writers? Well, in the episode we did about the Story Grid Live 2019, we said we'd take you through an exercise that we did at that event, and it's one that we did in our certification training too. At Story Grid Live, we analyzed five scenes, but in our editor training, we analyzed about 30 of them. And really, as you hear us do on the podcast all the time, we're still doing it. Last week, Leslie and I talked about why it's important to study masterworks. Well, one of the reasons is to see how other authors craft their scenes. Today, we'll be looking at the opening scene from The Accidental Tourist, the 1985 novel by Ann Tyler, and you can read that scene in the free sample on Amazon. The Accidental Tourist is usually considered a literary novel, but it also has huge commercial appeal, so it's a great masterwork to look at. And of course, I'm analyzing scenes from my own masterworks as I continue working on Immortal, because I want to see how master storytellers like Anne Rice practice their craft. Okay, so here's a super quick summary of the scene we're going to analyze today. Macon and Sarah are driving home from vacation and it's raining. She wants to stop and he wants to get home. They argue and eventually she tells him she wants a divorce. When Sean taught us how to analyze scenes, he gave us a particular process to follow, and that's what Leslie and I are going to walk you through today. Sean started by saying that a story event is an active change of life value for one or more characters as a result of conflict. That is, one character's desires clash with another's. All right, I want to pause here, just one sentence into the analysis, because I want to talk a bit about the point of conflict in a scene. This is something writers either ignore or are simply unaware of. I mean, I hadn't thought about it before I did Aaron Sorkin's masterclass, and that was before I did the Love Story workshop with Sean and certainly before I did my certification training. Aaron Sorkin said that one of the first things he does is figure out what the point of conflict is in a scene. He wants to know where the tension will be. Now, each character in a scene wants something. And those wants are in opposition to one another. That's what causes the conflict because both characters cannot get what they want. Let me repeat that. Both characters cannot get what they want because if they do, the tension and the conflict evaporate from the scene. And when that happens, it starts to evaporate from your story. And when that happens, your reader loses interest. All right, let's keep going. A working scene, then, contains at least one story event. To determine a scene's story event, we answer these four questions. Leslie, do you want to take us through the first one? Sure. The first question is about the literal action, and that is simply what is literally happening in the scene. 
This is really what's on the surface. It's a simple level. So when we look at this scene, the literal action is a couple driving in a car. Now, the first time we looked at this scene during our training, I filled it out and I had lots of different things, leaving on vacation early, driving home in the rain, having a conversation, but really it's as simple as a couple driving in a car. From the literal action, we get the scene and beat types that Anne Holly and Sean Coyne used in the Masterwork experiment on the flagship podcast in the summer of 2019. I don't know about you, Leslie, but when I first learned what literal action is, I kept second guessing myself. You know, I, I kept thinking, it cannot be this obvious. I must be doing something wrong. And then I wondered why I needed to know what the literal action in a scene is. Well, it took me a little while, but I finally discovered that, as you said, it has to do with the scene type. And Anne brilliantly demonstrated this in our episode on the girl on the train, when she discovered that all these scenes in a row were exactly the same type, and it was very repetitive and monotonous. And when that happens in a story, the drama can wane. And when that happens, the reader interest starts to wane with it. I mean, are you sensing a theme here already? So our goal is to vary what the characters are literally doing in a scene. So we don't have a whole bunch of two people sitting in a room talking scenes like we had with the girl on the train. And we want to balance it. We don't want to spend too much time focused on the stage business, right? Which is the actual drinking of the coffee for argument's sake. I think Ian Rankin does an excellent job of balancing the literal and essential action in his scenes. So I recommend you pick up one of his Rebus novels and study it. It doesn't matter what genre you're writing in. Study it anyway. He's a great author. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Okay. So once we look at the literal action, that's what's happening on the surface, we want to look at the essential action. So what is the essential action of what the characters are doing in the scene? You might also look at it as the point of view character scene goal. This is what we call subtext, what's happening beneath the surface. So what does that give you? What does the essential action help us understand? Well, it helps to make sure that your characters are acting consistently with their global objects of desire. That's their wants and their needs. It's particularly useful to check the essential action when your characters seem to be all over the place or when their actions don't seem to make sense because characters might change their tactics. Well, I should say characters do change their tactics in pursuit of their global objects of desire. But the goal shouldn't change until the global crisis. Now, there's a lot more on essential action in an article that I wrote with Anne Holly, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. Now, usually you want to focus on the protagonist or the point of view character in the scene when you're looking at the essential action or the scene goal. But sometimes it's useful to look at what's going on for other characters as well. The essential action is a simple active verb that can express what the character wants from another character or from the situation that they're in. Some examples of essential actions can be to get someone on my team, to lay down the law, to get my due or retrieve what's rightfully mine, or my favorite, to get to the bottom of something. 
So generally speaking, we might say that the couple wants to arrive home, but more specifically in this scene, I would say Macon wants to get someone off his back or to respect the way he does things. And Sarah wants to get a loved one to take care of her or to meet her need for comfort. When I think of essential action, I ask myself, what's really going on here? A great way to study essential action is to observe the people around you and study their behavior. This could be your kids, this could be your neighbors, your colleagues, your spouse, whoever. For example, one night, my daughter did the dishes without being asked. And that was her literal action. But (laughs) what was really going on there? (laughs) She's a great kid, but you know, what really was that about? Well, she was trying to butter me up so that she could go to a party. And, you know, if you have kids, especially if they're teenagers, there's always something else going on. It's a great personal study and it's a great essential action study. So in The Accidental Tourist, I see this scene as a power struggle. And really, when you get right down to it, most scenes, I think, are power struggles. Each person in the scene is trying to get what they want. That's what creates the point of conflict. Now, I heard a quote from Robert McKee, and I don't think he originated it, but he's the person who told me in one of the seminars I took from him. He said, if your scene is really about what it appears to be about on the surface, you're in deep shit. (laughs) And that is so true. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, so from the literal and essential action we look at what life value has changed for one or more of the characters in the scene. So why is this important? Stories are about change. You may have heard us say that a time or two. And this is not just on the global level or on the level of the entire story, but in these micro units of story as well. If a scene doesn't change or if nothing in the scene changes for the characters Or if it doesn't change in a way that moves the story value, the global story value, you should ask yourself, why is this in here? And of course, you also want to look at the ways that the life value is changing. Because if it's always going from negative to positive, negative to positive, negative to positive, it creates a monotonous feel in your story that the reader's not going to be able to identify and say to you, but that you can pick up if you're doing analyses of your own scenes. If you want to find the life value change in a scene, there are a couple of places that you can look. Look at the turning point progressive complication that we'll get to in just a moment and look at the value that's at stake there or look at what's at risk for the point of view character there. You can also look at how are things in the beginning and how are things at the end? What state or condition has changed again for one or more of the characters With this question, you want to cast a wide net because the next question will help you focus. So I might say, generally speaking, that in the beginning, the couple is together. At the end, they are apart. You might say that Macon is experiencing denial in the beginning, and he has some awareness at the end after his wife reveals that she wants a divorce. And Valerie, what would you say about the life value change in this scene? Well, it's interesting because scenes that are really well-crafted can be analyzed from each of the characters' points of view. Now, 
as you said, typically you'd analyze a scene from the protagonist's point of view, but if you don't know who that is, it's a great exercise to do it from all the characters. You know, this is the very first scene in a novel, so you might not know which of these two characters is the protagonist. So for Macon, I would say he's sure to unsure because the rug has been pulled out from under him. And Sarah, I would say powerless to powerful because she finally asked for the divorce she's been wanting. Now, if you want more help understanding value shifts, you can check out my Fundamental Fridays post, Value Shift 101, or the podcast episode I did on it, also called Value Shift 101. And I'll link to both of those in the show notes. Okay, so as promised, the next question helps you narrow those choices down because we look at which life value we should highlight in the StoryGrid spreadsheet. The one that goes in the spreadsheet is the life value change that has the biggest impact on the global life value and or the secondary genre's life value. So when you're practicing, you might not know or have a deep understanding of the global genre. And if you're just opening this story and reading the scene and starting to analyze it, you won't necessarily know. But you want to take your best guess. So an event like this could give rise to a global marriage love story or a worldview education story. So you would pick the change that affects either the love-hate spectrum, which the together then apart value would move or would impact, or the meaning and meaningless spectrum where you might look at how Macon goes from sure to unsure. And of course, realize that your answer will change as you study further. So Valerie, let's move on to the five commandments of storytelling. And we're doing those from Macon's point of view for our purposes today. And for more information about the five commandments of storytelling, you can check out our StoryGrid 101 episode in which we discuss the five commandments using Coco as an example. The first of the five commandments is the inciting incident, and this is an event that gets things moving in the scene. Sometimes it's an unexpected event, sometimes not so much. Here, the couple has decided to return from their vacation early, so they're headed home. Then we look at the progressive complications. These are events that arise as the protagonist is pursuing their goal. They could be obstacles that hinder, or they could be tools that help them. In this scene, it starts raining and the rain intensifies. Then, in the same way, Sarah begins with specific complaints about the way Macon drives. She hints, then suggests, then requests that he pull over, and she questions his judgment. Then this expands so that she complains about how he conducts his life in general, including his systems, and she also talks about how he's not a comfort to her. Okay, then we come to the turning point progressive complication. This is the fear that Sean talks about, or the big ball of chaos, the unexpected event that comes into a character's life. And here in this scene, it's when Sarah says that she wants a divorce, and it's an active turning point. Now, this is a pretty significant ball of chaos because, first of all, Macon obviously wasn't expecting it. And two, 
it throws his life out of balance. And this incites the entire story. In fact, this scene is the beginning hook global inciting incident. And it's pretty fancy footwork when you can throw the beginning hook global sighting incident into chapter one. Well done, Anne Tyler. <laughs> and of course, the turning point leads the character to the crisis, right? And the crisis is always a question and you have a best bad choice or an irreconcilable goods. So when Sarah says that she wants a divorce, this throws Macon into crisis. How is he going to react to the news? There's lots of things he could do, right? He could lash out and scream. He could say no. He could stay silent. Lots of options. The climax in the scene is the answer to the question. It's what the character actually does in response to the crisis. And what Macon does is pull over. Now, this is absolutely brilliant storytelling on Ann Tyler's part. In the climax of the beginning hook global inciting incident, Macon does the very thing that Sarah wanted him to do in the first place. Remember at the beginning, I said that both characters cannot get what they want, right? Macon wanted to keep going home. Sarah wanted to pull over. Sarah got what she wanted, and she is not the protagonist of this story. What Tyler does with this is she uses that little point of conflict it's a simple request to pull over on a rainy highway. She takes that point of conflict and she ramps it up from beat to beat in this scene. You can see the tension getting greater. You can see the tension escalating and the complications progressing. It's brilliant. It really is. So the heat is being turned up on that point of conflict until Sarah gets to the point where she asks or she doesn't ask, she tells Macon that she wants a divorce. So you've got a scene that goes from Sarah requesting he pull over to Sarah saying she wants a divorce. And it's a natural progression. It's brilliant. It really is. Seriously, you got to download the free sample. And then when you're hooked, just buy the book and read the whole book. <laughs> Something I want to just point out here is that if Macon had done what Sarah asked in the first place, all of the drama would have been drained from the scene, right? Sarah would not have been pushed to her limit. She would never have asked for the divorce. If Macon had done what she'd asked, there would have been no conflict in this scene. All right, and the, the crisis leads to the climax, and the climax leads to the resolution. And a way that Sean has described the resolution is, how is that working out for the character. Because as a result of the turning point crisis and climax, the character is now in a new situation. The story has changed somehow and we're in a new state of play. So the resolution for Macon is that he didn't get what he wanted, right? Which was an un uninterrupted drive home. Instead, his whole life has been turned upside down. Okay, so here are some key takeaways for you. First of all, when you're analyzing scenes out of context, it can be really tricky to know which value should be tracked on the spreadsheet. You may not have read the entire novel, and you may not know the global genre. You might not even know who the protagonist is. That's okay. For the purpose of the exercise, to increase your level of knowledge about story and about scenes and how they work, analyze the scene from all of the characters' points of view. It really is great practice. And just let your mind go and see how many associations you can make. How is the value shift changing? 
how many beats do you see in a scene? Which is the turn? Which is the scene level turning point? Which are the beat level turning points? And this is all kinds of fun. This is what we nerd out about here at Story Grid. <laughs> and if this kind of scene analysis is helpful to you, then you might want to check out the Story Grid Guild because, in addition to all the other great stuff going on there, every month one of the Story Grid certified editors will analyze a scene with the members and go through exactly the same exercise that Leslie and I have just taken you through. And if that's of interest to you, to find out more, you can visit storygrid.com slash guild. Excellent. Yes. I want to say there are lots of other things you could look at in a scene, right? In addition to the ones we're looking at here. Sean's PhD level spreadsheet and Anne's giant novel spreadsheet both include lots of other points of analysis that are really useful if you're studying a masterwork or if you are checking your own novel to make sure that it works. Each tool helps you discover more layers of the story. But what I want to say is pace yourself. Start with the four questions of the story event and the five commandments. And as you gain confidence in analyzing scenes, then you can move on to looking at the other elements. And be willing to make mistakes because you will. As I said, every time you come back to a scene, you might see it a little bit differently and that's okay because your understanding of what's happening is moving to a deeper level. So one other point, repetition is key. You have to do a lot of these scenes to really figure out how they work. In the StoryGrid certified editor training, as Valerie said, we did loads and loads of scenes first thing in the morning, late at the end of the day when we were all exhausted. And the process of repeating these, repeating the process gave rise to greater understanding of the way stories and the smaller units of stories work. That wraps it up for this week. You can find the many links and additional material in the show notes at storygrid.com, including Valerie's article, How to Analyze a Scene, and my article, Points of Connection, about how the micro and macro analysis work together. Also, sign up to Valerie's Inner Circle at valeriefrancis.ca slash inner circle to get exclusive content. And you can sign up to receive updates from me through the captain's blog at writership.com. To support the Editor Roundtable podcast, leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. Join us next week for another bite-sized episode in which Valerie looks at the progressive complications in whiplash. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.